When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome everyone to Rock M Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We are on season six, episode five. And we're here to talk all about your Missouri Tigers and the basketball program. I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, uh, from the plains of Indiana, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well. We continue the streak of being the optimistic podcast out of the duo here. Um, <laughs> which, man, I don't think anyone would ever describe my body of work or temperament as optimistic. But after uh, what football went through uh, and just sort of the questions facing them we get to be the ones that are bearers of good news and optimism so i'm thrilled yeah. with that role reversal i'll let uh, bk and and nate sort of you know be glum and have to you know catch the strays of a mildly annoyed fan base yeah, i saw i saw uh, so i have not had a chance to listen to their most recent podcast but i from the gist of it it sounds like they, they were actually more positive than they've been over the last few weeks um you know, I guess I guess playing a a bad defense like the you know the Florida Gators uh, currently are, um, you know, makes your offense look a little better. Um, but yeah, I think I think they're catching some strays. But I did see BK, you know, engage with one uh, such unhappy fan uh, on the on the Twitter sphere. Uh, we are recording this Monday, October tenth, uh, and the before the box score podcast came out um, on the site this afternoon uh i encourage you all to go check it out uh they are fighting their way through a a pretty tough football season a season of growth matt if you read my pour over you'd know that uh i've said maybe maybe that's what this is this is just a, a young team kind of learning how to how to do the things and and maybe maybe i don't know we'll we'll see them turn the corner at some point um maybe not i don't know our time might but be we coming do have positive stuff to talk about we do, we do. Uh, last week, uh, Missouri won a recruiting battle that I think uh, we had talked about a lot on previous episodes, and they filled the need in the process. And I think, at least for the fall, maybe put a bow on recruiting in 2023. So if you were uh, on another planet, uh, Mizzou got a commitment from um, a that we have mentioned here in the podcast before, a uh, young man by the name of uh, Jordan Butler. Uh, Jordan is a um, 6'10", 6'11", 200-pound, um, 
forward prospect, post prospect. On two four seven, he's actually listed at seven feet. Uh, he does have a, a little bit of an afro going on, so he's he's, he's got that picked out. Maybe adding some size. Um, but he is a a four star currently in the composite, a hundred and third rank. Uh, a, a kid who. I watched a little film on and, and liked him a lot. You've probably seen more film on him than I have now. And, and Matt, what's your take on, on the young Mr. Butler? Uh, if you didn't read what I wrote in the scholarship math last week, uh, I, I like the pickup. Um, this was a, you know, a kid who I think is young for his class. The frame needs filling in. I think he's got some room to mature physically. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to, you know, jump off the tape you know, as an athletic freak, I think he's a really functional athlete. I think he knows how to use his size and kind of his length really, really well. But the thing you're buying here is, is just a ton of skill and upside there. Um, if you watch tape of him, he, he's absolutely comfortable playing away from the rim. And I, I sort of say he's kind of like, if you've watched Brooke Lopez for the Milwaukee Bucks, a guy who you know, in the past may have been a traditional five, but remade himself into a guy who can space a little bit, you know, can shoot off the the catch, you know, can operate in space and is comfortable doing that. You know, I think the one thing that I like about Butler is the handle is advanced enough that he can, you know, put the ball down on one or two dribbles, you know, carve out a half step of space and get into a jumper. You know, if he's on maybe more of a traditional five or if he gets onto a guard, he's got the obvious size and length to finish. Um, don't really see a lot of him as kind of a creator with the ball in his hands. I don't think he'll be asked to do that, but I'm good at making what I would say are stationary reads. He can find cutters, you know, if he's kind of in the slot and, you know, finding guys that are trying to work baseline or angle cut, he's, he's pretty good at hitting cutters. Um, Defensively, he's going to be a five. He's going to guard fives. You know, we are a broken record saying your position is dictated based on who you guard and he's going to guard fives, but, Good size, understands how to play positionally, understands how to cut down angles. Um, functional with his feet, I'd say you can still beat him off the bounce a little bit if he switched on to ones and twos. But, you know, hopefully if you get him in uh, into a strength coach, you know, they can kind of get that functional athleticism where it needs to be. But it's a really good pickup. He had been in the top 50 around that mark going into the spring and kind of slid a little bit. I think part of that had to do with you know, playing with a startup kind of program for grassroots and, you know, maybe not always having the best talent and kind of chemistry around. And, you know, so I, I think his stock has dipped a little more than I would say is kind of reasonable, but, you know, definitely a top 100 level prospect, definitely fills a position in need and kind of fits all the, ticks all the boxes that you would kind of expect from a modern five. Yeah, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't take the the crown of the, uh, the, the Sam Snelling, um, you know, preferred prospect in the class. Uh, for me, that's still Trent Pierce. I think I've spoken glowingly about uh, young Mr. Pierce on more than one occasion. Um, but this is a guy who I really like. I was really hoping they would get. I think we talked uh, months ago when we were sort of talking about uh, a lot of the guys along there. Uh, you know, along the the board as far as post players go. Um, you know, we were talking about guys like Aaronton Page and and. Uh, Jazz Gardner and yeah, like and and really like like Butler was a guy that I thought I liked the most for for what his skill set was. Um, you know, big functional size, not a crazy athlete, but long and and uh, but the thing that I like is I just thought he was a he was a skilled player, and I think you know we've sort of 
we've talked about the things that we think Dennis Gates wants to do. And of course, um, you know, like there's some, you know, Leonard Hamilton influence there, but I, you know, I think that Dennis is really kind of his own guy. Um, and I really think like skilled bigs is not something you saw a lot at Florida state. And I think that's something that, that Gates really seems to, to want and, and seems to have prior prioritized not just these long rangy athletes, but you know, like, like guys who can help and initiate offense, you know, in that sort of mid post area. And I, I think, you know, Butler's skill level sort of projects as, as a guy you can maybe not quite run offense through, like maybe, you know, Mizzou was planning to do under, uh, you know, with Jonte Porter, but, but not that far off from it. If no. you, you kind of catch what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I think you could even look at a kid like Noah Carter, who's basically six inches shorter and like 20 or 30 pounds heavier, you know, but a connective piece offensively can, you know, play in handoffs, can play in space, you know, can, you know, when we say connector, that means that they move the ball, they get you from action to action, from primary action to secondary action, but they're skilled enough to recognize mismatches and opportunities and pick those out and know how to play out of them. I think that's a guy that, you know, we haven't seen that a lot, at least in the tape that I've been able to find the full game tapes that I've been able to find at Butler. I, I don't think I saw that piece as much, but you can see how it could evolve there. But, you know, Kobe Brown's a guy who can kind of, you know, make, you know, reads and, you know, plays out of that elbow area. You know, Ronnie DeGray's a guy who since high school has played in kind of that read-react mold as kind of a stretch four and kind of a face-up guy who's movable from different spots. And those guys were kept around, I think for a very specific reason in that they kind of fit what Dennis Gates wants to do. I think the offense that he ran at Cleveland state, isn't going to translate quite as much here. I think, you know, the thing I've heard from talking to a couple of people is that, you know, the tape that he's shown guys, at least recruits has been, you know, kind of Milwaukee bucks, five out free flowing offense, which is really, really loose. It's almost just like free play style. There's been a lot of warriors tape. There's been some, you know, Miami heat tape, but a lot of that stuff is still, you know, having kind of functional bigs who can connect, make plays, make reads, understand situations and have high IQ, you know, sort of, you know, demonstrated, you know, not just, you know, as somebody who catches the ball and swings it, but, you know, has to sort of initiate and kind of make some reads. So I think Butler can get there. Um, I, I think that's what I liked about, about him. It was just a question of whether or not he was attainable for this team. I thought a written page might be, um, I thought if you were going to try and play more ball screen stuff, you know, as kind of a quick, you know, that's sort of what most college teams are doing is still a lot of middle pick and roll stuff. Written page made sense for that. And also I just didn't know, like I said a minute ago, how attainable Butler was, but to get a kid like this, who I think, you know, has some ceiling, who maybe dropped a little bit and maybe people, you know, are undervaluing a stock. Now I, I think that's a, that's a really, really nice pickup and it's a big win uh, for Charlton young to, get his second kind of a uh, long-term prospect into the boat here. Yeah. They did have the benefit of, uh, having like a long time relationship with the family. Uh, Jordan's older brother, you know, played at Florida state, um, which helped. Uh, there was a really, really strong push, uh, from, you know, Lamont Paris at, uh, at South Carolina. Um, you know, he kind of came in and he's, really trying to kind of flip the script and what Frank Martin was doing and, and kind of focus hard on like kind of the stars that are coming out of South Carolina, uh, and, and get, get those kids into the program. Uh, and that made an impression, 
um, especially because, you know, I think both uh, Butler's parents are South Carolina grads, and, uh, you know, that certainly is going to play I think his a mom played there role. as well, too. Um, what's that? I think his mom played there as well, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure she was a, a basketball player there. So, um, yeah, so having that, uh, that you know, that late push um, and, and being able to hold it off, I, I thought was, uh, you know, you, you got to tip your, your cap to CY and, and the job that he's done so far. Um, that does sort of, I, I, I think, beg the question is, you know, is Missouri and their 2023 recruiting class complete? Um, and I would like, I would say probably, but with like an ellipsis on the end. Yeah. I, the board, you know, I always go back to, you know, what, what's on the board here and there, there's not a lot there. You know, they, they had page tonight, uh, committed to USC. Yeah. He had cut Mizzou last month, but, you know, that he's now off the board. I think the one that I was sort of looking at you know, that there was an outside shot, but really not a shot. There was Dennis Evans, who's a five-star kid, but also a, a real project at the five spot. You know, had a nominal offer from Missouri, but it had been TCU in Minnesota for months. He confirmed that over the weekend. So he moves off the board. Dennis Parker was a guy whose name's kind of been floating around, you know, for the last couple of weeks, but, nothing really concrete there. And, you know, he goes to Wooten's top 150 elite camp and says, you know, I'm not taking any more visits now. I'm probably not going to decide until November, but these are the, I'm going to kind of ride with what I have right now. So it doesn't seem like Missouri is really a factor there. Um, there's three Juco guys that they could take a look at, but I have a feeling those are again, like springtime pickups that you make. The only name that's out there, I think that's, you know, semi viable and that we can, we've talked about is Chris Parker, um, a combo guard slash wing out of uh, Quincy, Florida, which is near Tallahassee. That's the only name that I think you kind of monitor right now. Um, and really back in August, like it looked like that was something that was going to happen. Yeah. And it, I, then I think everything just sort of pivoted and they, and moved towards Butler. But I think this staff knew it needed a five. You know, there's a sense of urgency around getting a long-term, versatile, skilled guy in that spot. And I, I just think that that's where the priority went, you know, as they came down the stretch. You know, they got a point guard, which I think you almost try and get a point guard in every class, and you try and get a big in every class if you can. And you just fill your positional needs as sort of attrition allows. But they got a point guard that, that I think is still kind of underrated and undervalued. They've got you know, Jordan Butler. And then I think they made a nice positional pickup in Trent Pierce, which was a really, really, really fast recruitment. But I think they, they filled a lot of their needs. It's just a question of, you know, do they have any more vacancies that they expect to have to fill on paper? They filled all the ones that they're, that they know they'll have in the spring. So it'll be interesting what they do um, and, and what Parker's process is moving forward, but the board and just kind of the nature of, you know the roster right now makes it seem like they they're they that you could say they're pretty much done for the fall and then they'll see what happens with you know attrition come spring yeah i mean we we know for a fact that uh that they have these three spots open you know beyond that there's fluidity um you know there's always possibilities of guys coming back for you know a 
uh, a COVID year. Um, you know, like Isaiah Mosley is certainly in that boat. I think a lot of people expect him to sort of just be like a one-year wonder at Mizzou and then to go pursue professional opportunities. But, I mean, with NIL these days, you can make as much as <laughs> yeah as you want in Columbia, Missouri, as, uh, as you might, you know, overseas or in G League. And, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for, for, for that. So it's one of those things, like, there's, there's too much in flux. Um, I would be surprised if, uh, if they took Parker at this point. Um, not shocked, but like, like, oh, huh, kind of surprised. It'd be a good um, surprise if they picked him up. I mean, he's a, he's a guy that I think fits a lot of, you know, what at least in in, in prior stops the staff has tended to value in guys at his position. But you know, it, well, he's another guy like kind of similar to what you were saying with Butler, who, uh, you know, who never quite took the leap. I think a lot of scouts thought he might as far as, you know, kind of being an elite prospect. He was always sort of like a high four-star, and he's fallen into that kind of low four-star range. Uh, some sites even have dropped him to a three-star. But, I mean, like, he's, what, six eight, Handles the ball like a, like a true combo guard. Like, he's the kind of guy that you can develop. And if you believe in... Uh, and his skill, and and you know maybe think that he's just kind of been in the wrong systems. I I think absolutely he's a guy that uh, if you think you're going to have room, that you should take. Yeah, I think the the big questions with him have been, you know, shot selection, and you know, can you clean that up a little bit, and can the jumper get a little bit more consistent? But defensively, he's got everything you want, and I think he's the kind of guy that if you feel like you want to play in transition a little bit, he's obviously got the athleticism to make that happen. You know, rebounds well for his position. It's just a question, of, you know, do you have the patience to get the shot selection where it needs to be? And, you know, I think the nice thing that sort of works in Missouri's favor there is if they think they're going to play 9-10 deep, you're really going to spread that production across, you know, a pretty wide rotation. You don't need him to come in and be a guy that really pops early offensively. But, you know, I get what, but it seems like at least the fives here, and you know, from what we've seen them, how they're recruiting, you know, there's some amendments that have been made as to, you know, the template, you know, from their days at Florida State. So regardless, we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. But Parker's the name, you know, Chris Parker's the only name that I would really, you know, semi-monitor at this point. And really only if there's a visit announced, then I would, that would be what it would take to kind of pique my interest. Other than that, you know, I'm I'm working, you know, with the assumption that the board is sort of closed right now and all the spots are taken. Yeah, if they if if they come in with like an announcement that he's coming in like in the next few weeks or uh you know, because early sending day is like what, mid November. Yeah. Um, so we really have like I mean, we have a month, um, you know, before early signing day. He can always Wait take a spring. visit in November, it can visit December, it can visit January, he can commit whenever he wants, uh, and sign in the spring. Um, but if yeah, if, if you if you don't visit before signing day, chances are you're probably not gonna commit and sign in the fall. Yep. Yep. So uh moving on, uh, so that does sort of make Mizzou uh appear as though they're they're kind of putting some of their focus into twenty twenty four. Uh, we've already had several guys on campus, um, several big uh, time recruits. 
Um, this podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. So I think uh, uh, Marcus Allen. Uh, John Bull. John Bull. John Bull uh, kind of talked about Michigan and Missouri with a recent article on 247 Sports. Uh, gave some really positive impressions of Dennis Gates. Uh, we talked to Eric Fossey, Eric Fossey, a uh, friend of the pod, uh, Eric Fossey, um, went down to Sunrise uh, Academy and, and talked to John, and he had really, really good things to say about Dennis Gates. Yeah, he said that, you know, he felt like, you know, and this is something I think every recruiter sort of told me, they felt like the entire staff is really transparent. You know, they will answer your question, even if it's maybe not the answer you were expecting or you would want to get, you know, but they're very truthful, they're honest, you know. And I think the one thing that sort of comes through is there's an authority there. I, I, you know, Anthony Robinson mentioned it, you know, Trent Pierce mentioned it, and it sounds like, you know, John Bowles getting at it as well, which is there's just a certainty and an air of confidence and an authority that the staff speaks with. There's a comprehensiveness. And I think the one thing that's come through is at least with, you know, Pierce, and it sounds like, you know, Bowl a little bit. And even, you know, when I spoke to, you know, Jordan Butler's grassroots coaches, they can put the tape on of these guys of these kind of long lean guys and say, look at where we took them. Look at what we did with these guys. We've, we've had kids like you come in here and we've turned them into NBA players. You know, we, we don't speak this way because we're, it's theoretical. Here's our guy on tape doing it. And I think that that, that, can, you know, that's, that, that's certainly helpful for them in this situation. Um, the one thing I, I that I would say too is, you know, Bowl is a kid who I think is going to need that. Um, I went back and watched um, five Mocan games this weekend, and you know he's a kid who's got all the physical tools, but he's going to need a strength and conditioning coordinator, and he's going to need some time. You know, Eric wrote that the offensive skill sets coming along, but he's there. You're buying tools. You got to somebody's got to put. There's going to be some assembly required with John. Um, but you know, I think in late September or last week on October 1st, you know, they brought in uh, James Brown, a post out of Chicago who is a little bit more high, a little bit more advanced skill wise as a five. They brought in Dallas Thomas. Who's a top 70 kid. Didn't have quite the summer with Brad Beal elite 16 U as far as scoring the ball, but he's, you know, a, you know, kind of physical profile that we've seen six, seven really lean here. And the guy that I, I watched on film and, you know, I had the wrong number all summer, but Jordan McCollum was a guy I really liked. I thought he popped at times, especially, you know, shooting off the catch, kind of flashing into areas and getting into his jumper. 
Um, you know, good timing off the floor as a help side guy. Um, kind of a fringe 150 kid. I think once we're, we'll see him, he'll move into the into the rankings. But again, they they've had some guys that are all top 150 level kids that have come in here, and you know that's to get those visits as juniors is is really really important. And to already see that, you know, James Brown has cut his list down to 10, and Missouri's deep in the mix, and it's probably one of five that's going to get visits. That's a good spot to be in, almost a year away from signing day. Um, they're going to have to win. <laughs> they're going to beat out Duke, North Carolina, Michigan State, and home state Illinois. But to be in the to be in the mix that early and to get an early visit is is really really positive. And um, the other note I would add is a lot of these guys are Kyle Smith Peter recruits. A lot of these guys are, you know, our first go around watching you know a JUCO coach try and transition to the bench, and he's gotten guys on campus early. And, you know, has really helped them make inroads and guys are speaking well of him. So I think this is, you know, we talked about CY this cycle. This feels like it's setting up maybe to be a KSP cycle. And so that'll be kind of interesting to watch as we move forward. And that leaves 2025 for Dickie Nut. It's your time, Dick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, couldn't resist that one no but it it is sort of refreshing to hear and we've heard like really good things about um about kyle smith peters and like the relationships that he's able to cultivate uh, you know the way players respond to him um you know like all of the you know the the contacts that he's made through his, his time as being a juco head coach and uh you know he, he was really well thought of so it is sort of it's nice to hear i mean you don't necessarily you never know how any sort of coaching hire is going to go, but it, it is nice to hear that like that is translating quite easily into uh, the, you know kind of job with a little bit more of a spotlight on it than you know than sort of flying under the radar in the JUCO ranks. Yeah, and they may try and get another kid out of Kentucky where he's got some contacts. Aiden Evans has said he'd like to take a visit, and another kid that I really really like out of Little Rock who is just designed to destroy rims is an Orbotang of looks like a linebacker or a running back. Um, six, four, probably two twenty. just chiseled. Uh, you know, there was tape of him a couple of years ago as an eighth grader, absolutely mashing a rim down playing up at little rock central. And I was like, Oh my God, this guy's uh, going to be a top 30 kid. And he is, um, it was really had a lot of great things to say about LSU, Missouri, Auburn, and Arkansas. So that's another guy that has said he would want to visit. So if you get those two in here, I mean, I think that'd be the vast majority of these guys would be uh, recruits with you know Kyle Smith Peters as their primary recruiter. So it'll it'll be interesting again to to see if that manifests in a class that is you know takes the next step in terms of where prospects finish in the ratings. But they're off to a, a really fast start. In 24, and I think, you know, nothing's guaranteed, but fans should be really excited about the early inroads they've made. So, Matt, the good news here is that uh, since it is October 10th, we are officially uh, under a month away from actual Mizzou basketball games. Yes, we are. Um, from that murderer's row of an opening schedule. <laughs> hey, uh... What what's what's interesting is as I'm kind of doing the previews, it's it's kind of funny like the amount of like crappy non conference schedules um, 
that just permeate through the SEC. Um, tomorrow, looking, so, tomorrow will be a so month away from like pin the, from pin coming to town. Yeah, but like I just finished writing um, the Texas A and M preview, uh, which isn't gonna get published for like two weeks. But um, but A and M was like a hair away from an NCAA tournament bid last year. Uh, it it took like a heroic run of uh, ridiculous winning down the stretch to 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 sniff uh, the NCAA tournament, but but they were they were not allowed in, and a lot of it was because their non-con was trash, like it was bad. Um, they played three top one hundred teams and beat one, and that was Notre Dame. Notre Dame, I think, finished like around fortieth. So, I you know. Anyway, the schedule uh, get, getting ske- getting a little sidetracked. There's not a lot of like intrigue with who the opponents are for really the month of November. No, the intrigue but- is the intrigue's watching <laughs> the lineups they try during the month of November. Yeah, I mean, so like that's that's one of the reasons why you know coaches do this is is you want to make sure you still get the win. Uh, while you're figuring out what you have, and you can do a lot of like figuring out in practice, but you know, like practice is not the same as the game. And guys, you know, some guys play better in games. Some lineups work better in games. Um, combinations of of you know players playing together. You know, I think Dennis Gates is going to spend a lot of time figuring out. Uh who his like go-to lineups are, you know, before they sort of have to start picking up the pace and like going on the road, which the state or playing Kansas or Illinois. Yeah. They, I'm looking at Torvik's ratings right now. Cause he's got them out. I mean, Southern Indiana is 363rd pin 132 Lindenwood 361 SIUE 229. Sit Valley, 345. Coastal Carolina, 279. Houston Christian now, as they rebranded, is 342. And then you get to the road trip to Wichita State. Like the the first three weeks of the season, Missouri is not forecast. The forecast has Missouri's smallest margin of victory at 11 points against Penn. Everything else is north of 20. So, you know, our our dear friend Matt Watkins put this out on Twitter. You know, can you you know estimate the minutes and kind of lineups and stuff? I'm really not even invested in what the starting lineup looks like on opening night. To me, like just the deal here is how many different lineups do they try? You know, what sort of level of experimentation do they see? Do they figure out the rotation? So when they make that first trip. So Wichita State, do they feel like, okay, we know who our opening lineup is. We know, you know, what our pattern's going to look like going into that sort of first under four timeout. Like, that's what I'm more interested in. It's just how much they want to mix and match here. It feels like we're all sort of Here's the starting five, Matt. It's Isaiah Mosley. Kobe Brown. Kobe Brown and three other guys. Yep. (laughs) Now, depending on how you look at the roster and the team, the other three are going to vary. I am always going to like want Nick Honor on the floor. Um, 
you know, I, I realize the things that Shanice does and I, I like a lot of the things that Shanice kind of brings to the team, but Nick Honor is my point guard. Um, does Nick Honor low, play point guard? <laughs> well, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's not, he's low turnover rate. He may not be flashy, but he can do all the things you need him to do. So that would be my point guard. Um, and then, you know, from there, it sort of depends on how you want to start. And I'm fine like, with him getting, you know, that's where I think the tinkering comes in play. If you want to try Shawnee starting at the two guard, at the combo guard, fine by me. You want to give Des Moines yeah. Hodge a little couple of starts, fine by me. You want to see who's going to run at the four spot? You want to try Noah Carter there? Cool. Like, let's, like. Yeah, the, the, the only thing that you need to make sure is that Kobe Brown's in the starting lineup, Isaiah Mosley is in the starting lineup, and I would think you would want Nick Honor in the starting lineup. Yeah. And then there's two spots that it just sort of depends on how you want to play. And then just free flow it. And, you know, by the time you get to, you know, November 29, be like, okay, we know what our starters are going to, what our openers are going to be. And then we're going to just try and get a little creative. Then they get, you can do some more tinkering against SEMO and then you got to go, you know, though. So, like I said, I think, you know, I get why we discuss starting lineups and it's great preseason fodder. But to me, you know, low continuity lineups, you know, you really can't, you know, extrapolate too much out of this. It's not like Missouri's bringing back six returners and, you know, we can kind of set it in stone. The way the schedule setup has been designed to allow for a lot of permutations. Let's just watch this team play and watch how creative Dennis gets. And, you know, I said this ahead of last year with Conzo. Let's just watch how they play basketball and, and, you know, really sort of try and figure out, you know, what the base offense is, what the base defense is. And let's see kind of how they tinker with guys. Cause I think that's the thing here is this schedule is not designed to make an NCAA tournament in year one. It's designed to get early wins, early continuity. And so let's just take it for what it is and try and just evaluate what the concept of this team is and how they're trying different parts and different roles and hope that they've, got an order and kind of a a more crystallized you know version of what the team's going to be by the time december gets here yeah and i think like the, you know the benefit is you're going to be able to give uh you know some guys that need more seasoning um you know like muhammad diara aiden shaw uh really kind of those two in particular i think are guys you want to see as much as you can from this early stretch to see, you know, kind of where they are. Uh, and I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for both those guys to kind of step in and, and show that they're ready to play a little bit more than maybe some fans kind of think. And I, you know, like it, as you get kind of into the, the thicker part of the non-con and you do have to kind of take on Kansas and you have to take on Illinois uh, you know, maybe like you are more willing to kind of play in those smaller lineups with like Noah Carter and Kobe Brown because those guys are a little more more weathered. But at least you've kind of gotten, uh, you know, for for me, like Diara is is sort of that guy, the guy that you know, like I think we know at this point based upon a lot of the reports and and talking to folks that you hear like he's he's probably gonna need some work. Like he's not going to step in and be a double double kind of guy right right away, but you know the the skill level and the things that you want are there, so you've got to find a way to kind of keep him involved and and, and keep him developing. I think I said today uh, you got to if you got to find a way to get him from 
eight minutes to 15 minutes and really just, you know, get it to the point where you feel like, okay, we only had to, you know, split the other 25 minutes of the post among some other guys here. And really just, so I think that that's, he's sort of the, you know, the guy that I have questions about. Um, Watkins is starting his uh, player preview series this week. He's going to do three uh, a week. I think we got one tomorrow. We have one tomorrow over uh, Mr. Kobe Brown. I think he's going to play a lot. Um, I don't feel like I'm spoiling Matt's what Matt's work <laughs> there um, by saying I think Kobe Brown's going to play a lot. But after that's Ronnie DeGray, um, who's a guy that I'm out of all the newcomers, I'm fascinated by just where Ronnie kind of fits because you know he was a guy who I think Mizzou tried to use him as kind of a primary. Cog, you know, kind of in, you know, mid-November last year, and it just didn't hit. But when that guy got to, like, 18% usage, and he was kind of that, you know, fifth or sixth guy in the rotation, his rim finishing, you know, his efficiency around the rim was really good. He's got a good rebound rate. I thought for that stretch of six or seven games where Missouri, you know, found some traction offensively, he and Kobe were really, really great in kind of a read-and-react setup. I think that sort of fits his background, and, kind of how he plays, but I just think, you know, and you look at his plus minus ratings, he makes the team better when they're on the floor. It's just a question of, you know, where he fits into that four or five kind of role and what, you know, Aiden Shaw is probably a bigger, more athletic version of what he is. And, you know, Noah Carter, I think brings a little bit more, you know, skill as kind of a creator and can play with the ball in his hands a little bit more. Do you want to try Ronnie at the five, even though he's like six, 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 seven. So I think Ronnie's one of those guys where you dig into his metrics and you watch the film. And he does a lot of really great stuff. It's just, where is he going to, you know, fit into kind of the pecking order. So he's kind of a guy that I'm really, really curious as to you know, how expansive his role is and sort of where he slots in early on to this team. Um, I well, I thought you know if you looked at like the the collective sort of IQ of last year's basketball team, I didn't really feel it was high, very high, um, with very obvious exception um, of Ryan DeGray. Like I think Ryan DeGray is is a really really smart basketball player. I think he he knows and understands the game, and you know like there's not a lot of guys that like know their limitations the way that that he kind of does, and I think he. Just has like a a really good good understanding of of where he needs to get to, what kind of angles he needs, uh, and and what he needs to do to sort of be an effective player at this level. Because I don't really think like Ryan Gray with like his skill level and all those things is uh, is ever going to be kind of like an an exceptional high major player. But he's a guy that wants to play high major basketball. And understanding that is sort of how how can you help you know the team when you're in the game and what things you have to do. And I think you know on the team last year, I I, I don't think anybody understood that better than he did. Yeah, I, you know I think he you know he tried to play in the post, but when he tried to play and make you know things happen there, it was with a guy who was his size or when he had buried a guard. You know he understood got really good at, you know, cutting baseline when defense is lifted. He got really good, I think, at understanding how to 45 cut. You know, sometimes Missouri would try and interchange on the side of the, on the weak side of the floor, but rather than kind of 
you know, come off a down screen, he'd curl it and cut it with Kobe at the elbow and he'd get himself into it, you know, kind of a curl or an angle cut and get himself in there. He got on the glass a ton and got you know, stuff there, you know, and got putbacks, you know, moved the ball offensively when he needed to, you know, made the extra pass on kickouts, just stuff that you felt like was for an offense that struggled to really, I think, have a sense of rhythm and, you know, find, you know, kind of that metronome. I thought he did a really nice job of getting them into good plays and finding good situations for them. And I think that, you know, if you watched how Cleveland State played, you know, I think Dennis Gates has, you know, a respect for that. I think he's going to want guys, you know, when you hear him talk, I think he wants guys who absolutely max out their touches. And that's the thing that Ronnie DeGray does really, really consistently is, you know, make the most of the touches that come his way. Yeah. So I, I think I agree with you when, uh, and granted like the, the holdovers from the, the, the previous regime are, are few. Um, but he, you know, he's really a guy who I, I want to know what kind of role he's going to have because I just, the way he was able to make himself important last year makes me think he's going to do the same thing again this year. Well, here's, like here's he's going to make himself important. Here's the stat that I think you need to keep in mind. Ronnie Gray had a, 209 field goal attempts last year and averaged 1.05 points per possession on one of the worst offenses in, you know, among power conference teams. When Ryan Gray got a touch at the rim, which was 60% of his shots, he averaged 1.37 points per possession. If it was a layup, it was 1.41. He shot 62% at the rim. That that's insanely good on that sort yeah. of efficiency. That's three or that's three or four rim attempts per game. That means Ronnie's getting to the bucket for eight points at the rim. You know, consistently every night out, you know, on guarded jumpers, he averaged about 1.1 points per attempt, shot 35%. That's not going to bowl anybody over, but it's a 52.9 effective field goal percentage. Hit some contested shots. Absolutely maxed out his rim touches, and had a low and had a pretty low turnover rate as a passer. That's that's exactly what you want. You know his usage rate was 18, percent and you know if you're getting 1.1 points per touch out of that, that's absolutely something that I think Dennis Gates is going to look at and go. You know, we got to have this guy on the floor because when the ball comes his way, he's absolutely going to capitalize. So, I'm just really, really fascinated on on you know how he figures into the mix. Well, and and also he's you know a really smart heady cutter. And if you uh, read, it, I think Watkins was the one who wrote it. You might uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he had a thing on like the Cleveland State offense and how much you know Cleveland State was using the cut as methods of get you know getting a shot and so that's one of those things when you talk about like you know how does the the transition from uh you know from what Dennis Gates was doing at Cleveland State with the you know level of players he has there versus what he's going to do at Missouri I still think you're going to see a, a a heavy amount of uh you know guys cutting to the basket and taking advantage of cuts um, and that's a really good way to generate shots. Yeah, he got about 44 possessions at the rim off cuts, average 1.3 points. On putbacks, average 1.5. Like, that's what the guy does. He cuts, you know, specifically, he gets to the dunker spot a lot, he, and he gets on the glass. You know, He's also a guy that uh, not bad to have on the floor with somebody like 
Isaiah Mosley. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things that we're sort of excited about with Mosley is, you know, his ability to sort of generate offense individually. Um, you know, but sometimes those shots don't go in. <laughs> so you want what you want is you want guys who can capitalize and sort of figure out where the ball's going and 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 get stick back. Yeah, Ronnie's really, really good about tracking the flight too. So, um, the last guy that's back is is Caleb Brown. Um, Watkins has written about him this week. Um, your expectations for Caleb in year two? Me? Yes, you. Um, I expect him to be on the team. As do I. As do <laughs> I. Um, it, it's one of those things where it's it's difficult to, uh, to sort of think that he's going to be all that helpful. I just don't. I I, I think he has some useful skills. I just don't think he's been. Um, conditioned appropriately for the kind of role that you know he might excel at. Um, you know, like even last year's team when he had to step in. I mean, the season was already toast, uh, and he was still kind of playing spot minutes. Uh, he wasn't playing a whole lot. Um, he's not a particularly effective shooter. Um, you know, he turned the ball over a lot not a great defender. Uh, I mean, not saying he can't get better at those things, but I think, you know, Dennis Gates specifically went out and recruited guys uh, who would be better at those things and, and, and sort of keep a guy like, like Caleb on the bench. Um, I don't really foresee him having much of a role in this team. I, if, if you do, I would love to hear from you and, 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 you know that that's the royal you, Matt. That's not you specifically, because you and I have talked about this. And I I think you probably agree with me. So, uh, what are your expectations? I think you just hope that you know he can. I'm gonna put this play. You hope that he can put some good stuff on tape. You know, I I think it'll be. You know, we don't like to push guys out the door here, but you look at you know who Missouri has recruited. At a point guard spot, you look at who they're looking at other spots moving forward. It's just hard to, you know, see where Brown, you know, gets an opportunity to carve out a niche for himself, especially because it looks like they've already kind of recruited over him at the ball handling spot. And so the question is, can he find opportunities to put some good things on tape? So if he does have to move on, he can, you know, find a good landing spot. Or can he kind of, you know, make the transition that I think Kobe made, which was give up the idea of being a jumbo point guard and really just sort of say, you know, I'm a bully ball kind of undersized, you know, three, four guy. Cause there's, there's room to make that work. If you feel like you can, you know, begin to use some IQ at the, at the elbow in the mid post, if you feel like you're willing to work as a cutter and sort of, you know, work off the ball, but you know, I'm looking again, it's hard on low usage cause the sample size is so small, but there's, like even when you go back and look on the tape, the best tape you can articulate for Kobe's his best game came in garbage time against LSU when they'd already been blown out in the Caleb, you mean yeah and uh been blown out by LSU. But other than that, you know, 
he got 15 minutes at a blowout loss at LSU, got 12 minutes in a home blowout loss to Arkansas. You know, maybe his best game was at Vanderbilt when Missouri was having some foul trouble issues. Um, played 28 minutes at Texas A&M. He checked in a couple threes in that Vanderbilt game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, checked in a couple threes. One well, was a prayer that went in. <laughs> yeah, that was a late clock heave um, that I don't yeah. think he put a lot of stock in. And it was probably his best game. And I think that's probably like if you're going to get into a ball handler situation, he came down and just initiated offense and got the ball where it needed to go on time, swung it, did what he needed to do, got it to guys. You know, he was a connective piece there. So, you know, can he find a way to either be an efficient scorer or a good ball mover and, you know, sort of spackle in, you know, openings when he can get them? But I'm keeping my expectations pretty modest for him uh, this season. Yeah, um, I just I have a really hard time imagining that, uh, like you know, it, the, things have gone awry in the season. I think if if you're finding a big role for for Caleb, um, I wouldn't put it past him to you know get some spot minutes here and there. I you know I think I think Dennis is the kind of guy who does try to you know try to keep everybody involved if he can, engaged um, and, and bought in. Yeah, and and. To be quite honest, there's a whole lot of teams in the early going where uh, everybody should get a chance to play. <laughs> that's um, that's what I mean so, when I say he should be able to get some things on tape because the first eight or nine games are prime opportunities for the last four or five minutes to come in and put some stuff on tape and and get some stuff out there. But yeah, we're I'm excited that we're talking about actual basketball a couple of weeks from now and. We'll we'll see uh, we'll see soon enough what the what the actual product on the floor looks like. So yeah, so uh, you did sort of mention um, this week we have a lot of our preview stuff starting uh, tomorrow, um, Tuesday, October eleventh will be uh, the first of a long series of individual player previews. Uh, you are working on finishing up. A uh, a really fun, interesting piece on um, twenty twenty three commit Trent Pierce, um, and so we're gonna be averaging probably three to four player previews a week next week. Um, so the seventeenth is when the SEC team previews start happening. Uh, you and I are gonna take next week off. Uh, and then it's it's basketball season. Um, so we're from from then on. I think October twenty fourth uh, is when we record next. That is going to be a weekly podcast. So dive cuts will be be weekly from there on out because it's basketball season, Matt. That it is, and, and it'll be. It's eerily reminiscent, kind of a year ago, where I think. All of us just want to see what the on-court product looks like and you know, begin to sort of digesting what this team is and how it operates. And, you know, I, I'll be really, really fascinated to see what the rest of the preseason polls, you know, think of this team. Right now, I think expectations are, we're probably a little more bullish, I think. I think we had Missouri probably like ninth or 10th in our predictions, but it seems like right now 11th is where they're landing. Um but it'll be we haven't seen K 
Kim Palm's predictions, we haven't seen major national outlets sort of drop their previews yet, but I'm really fascinated on what sort of the expectations are internally, you know, from, you know, beat writers around the program and fans, as opposed to sort of like what the national expectation is. It's it's going to be fascinating to see how those two sort of compare and, you know, interact and juxtapose. Yeah, and uh, Media Days is coming up when we'll actually get like the coaches or not coaches, but the media poll, um, you know, in the media poll, what sort of the expectations around the league are for all the teams. Those tend to be um, sort of interesting, and, and I think they'll be kind of indicative of, of where, like, a lot of people's opinion is on, on this Missouri team. I think one of the reasons that we are pretty bullish is because, like, I just I think there's a lot of value in having a guy who can get you points. And there's a lot of teams in the lower half of the SEC that don't really have that guy. You look at a team like Vanderbilt. You know, if Vandy gets tied up in a late clock situation, where's the ball going to go? Well, last couple of years, it's gone to Scotty Pippen. You know? And this think- year, you're going to throw it to Jordan Wright. You're going to throw it to Miles Stute. Those are great off-the-ball guys, but, you know, they're not. Uh, South you know, Carolina's they're, they're got not the late clock finishers. South Carolina's got the opposite problem of I don't know what they've got around Gigi, um, that I feel really great about. Georgia, I, I'm we talked about Georgia a couple of weeks ago. I think they're better than some people think. Mississippi State, you know, I'll be curious there. Um, there's just a lot of moving parts, and I think really once you get outside the top seven, you know, who's got the best player? you know, that can come in. I think Mosley's in the mix there, and that's a big asset. And just, I think, you know, this is the time of year when I relearn the teams after spring, and I don't think anyone's going to look at, like, these guys individually and say Dennis Gates killed the portal. But I think when I wrote this in May, he he found the things that he values in players. And he's put a team together, you know, where the, you know, this team is going to be small up front. There's no way around that. That's a hole that they couldn't quite fill. But you know what? These kind of mass overhauls don't always go perfectly. But he got a lot of what he needed, and then he got an alpha scorer. And in a league where almost half the teams are rebuilding, that's got insane value. Um, so I think, you know, team people that have had them in 13th, I don't think are really looking at the rosters through any sort of lens I can agree with. But I get it if, you know, some people want to cap, you know, the expectations of this team around 8th. That seems reasonable. So tomorrow, actually, is the um, tip-off 23 in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, Oh, sorry. That's the deadline to apply for credentials. I was trying to (laughs) figure out when this is. Uh, When is the date? When is the date? They sent me this thing. Ah, uh, women's basketball is the 18th. Men's basketball is the 19th. So okay, so we're about a week away from from like the media next gathering. Next Wednesday is when it drops. Yeah, so, is when this so we'll have uh, uh, yeah. Tuesday is women's basketball. Dennis Gates will uh will speak to the press at twelve forty five. His players will precede him. Um, I think they already announced who they're taking, but I forgot who it is. Nick Honor's one of them, and Kobe Brown, I think. Yeah, the, Nick and Kobe. That two, makes sense. Yep, take the two veteran captains and a star. 
So do you have anything else that you want to hit on before we get out of here? No, no, just it's this feels very weird. Um they Missouri landed primary targets and is gonna close up shop in twenty three and they're already turning to twenty four. Um I try not to dance on graves or, you know, be too harsh, but this is what recruiting should look like. You should finish in the fall. You should start being able to work ahead in twenty four. Ideally you'd get a couple twenty four commits and then you'd be able to work ahead to twenty fives, but you know, I, I think the one thing that they've done is they've stayed on schedule, they've targeted guys, they've closed those guys, and they've filled needs, and now they're able to kind of work ahead. And this is how you improve recruiting. It's, you know, it's obviously great to have on-court success. It's great to have a pitch, but got to close guys. You got to be able to get on a schedule that works. And so far, they've done that. And, you know, I don't think this class is, you know, as today is going to finish in the top 25, but it's going to be middle of the pack it's going to have three or four guys that i think are going to be really really good pieces so it's it's about the best outcome you can hope for for a staff that's been on the job for about six months absolutely um yeah i think we even said uh you know don't really judge this you know uh coaching staff by what they do in 2023 2024 uh should be the season where you sort of start to get the idea but i think you could do a lot worse than than three you know sort of four-star prospects um and i mean you know me like i just i i love trent pierce and like what kind of player he can be i'm a big fan of jordan butler i love that signing uh anthony robinson i you know for me the jury is still out on a little bit i i, I see what they like about him i think he's capable but um you know the i think guards are if he's got a year to learn at the point guard spot behind a vet i think that's going to be pivotal for him yeah, I think that'll help a lot. So uh, that's that's good that it seems like they've sort of already had Nick Honor coming back. <laughs> um, but with that all being said, uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. So we will again be back in a couple weeks, and then it's uh, it's weekly from here on out. Uh, if you like this podcast, you should probably make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast feed wherever you download and listen to your podcast whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google Play Store. Uh, we are also on Spotify. You can listen right there in the Spotify browser. Uh, if you're subscribed, you'll get episodes of Before the Box Score. As we said early, the, the guys have been sad this fall, um, but less sad last pod, so listen to that one. Uh, all that being directly in your phone, you can listen to Nate and BK. Uh, you'll also probably enjoy reading more over at our flagship, Rock Nation. Tomorrow starts the big preseason um extravaganza i don't really know what other word to use for that but there's a lot of content coming your way make sure you check it out yeah (laughs) big big content um always do the twitter thing give matt a follow at matt j harris 85 you can follow me if you like at sam t snelling uh and we will uh be back in two weeks and until then thanks for tuning in